Ronananian. Rusty I, Chevrolet. That sort of sounds anti-American, Tom. I'm not sure how I like that. Um, Chevrolets don't rust. They just quietly fade away. We used to ride, baby. Ride around in limousines. The car doctor. She goes, fast Harry rules. That's right. Right. On air against fast Harry drools? What was yeah. that? That was <laughs> drools, rules, whatever. Whatever. All right, uh, come on. Let's get back old. to business. Thank you. I'd like to do a show today. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. Thanks for stopping by today. The phone number is 855-560-9900. Give the Car Doctor a call or leave a message. That number there, 855-560-9900, is 24-7. You can call, leave a message, in theory, provided it's working, which it wasn't at the start of this show in the previous hour. Thanks to the guys over at eVoice. They decided today was the day they would do their website update with no information telling us that that's what they would do. But um, bottom line, 855-560-9900 is what we spend good American dollars on trying to get it to uh, work so that you guys can leave a message and we can help solve all of your car problems and uh, call you back. So uh, give it a try and uh, who knows, maybe it'll work. Let's take the approach of eVoice. Does it matter? Um, This radio show is also available at cardoctorshow.com, podcasts, as well as other show information. You can find us also via TuneIn, tunein.com. And if you get over to iHeart or iTunes.com, you can download and subscribe to the podcast of this radio show. And if you need me during the week, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com. I wonder, are you the customer, are you the vehicle owner fully capable of dealing with repairing the vehicle? Had a weird one this week. And I guess I have a lot of weird ones every week, but this one kind of set me back a little bit. 2012 Jeep Wrangler came into the shop with a 3.6 V6. 42,000 miles with a misfire. Had a P0306, had a misfire on number six cylinder. Went through my usual diagnostic routine, like I always do, and established the fact that, yeah, this has a miss on cylinder number six. And it wasn't spark. Looked at primary. It wasn't spark. And it appeared to be compression. Did a cranking compression test from the driver's seat so to speak, using the uh, OBD2 OBD port and a scope and looked at cranking compression and said, yeah, we got a miss on six, or six compression doesn't look right. And went through and did some more research because it's not just a matter of taking something apart. You always want to look and listen, once you get a direction, hey, I've got a, I, I've got a compression problem or what appears to be a compression problem on a cylinder, in this case, number six. You go look for bulletins. You go to reference to support your theory. You know, you're always proving, is is this possible? Sure enough, Chrysler's got a technical service bulletin out there that talks about misfire and stumble and check engine lights on and misfires on cylinders 2, 4, and 6 on this particular model Jeep, as well as several other model V6s, various models across the Chrysler family. And they all talk about replacement of that cylinder head due to carbon issues. Carbon's becoming a big problem, and it it seems like it's rearing its head again. And with the advent of GDI, gasoline direct injection engines, it's getting worse. 
and carbon cleaning really has to become a staple diet. I think I think the new number for doing a carbon cleaning service at the rate of failures that I'm seeing is probably in the 10 to 12,000 mile range. And that's drastically cut in half. And again, it depends on where you live, what part of the country, what kind of vehicle, how you're using it. But I think that carbon cleaning at the least is a once every year, 18 month philosophy with some fuel system cleaner in the tank a couple of times a year as a good preventative maintenance. Because as good as the cars have gotten, as good as the cars are getting with technology, um, they just can't get away from this gasoline issue. Carbon is still a a very big problem. As a matter of fact, I went to a a seminar this week, uh, one of my monthly seminars, and they were talking about the EPA is removing all detergent additives that we know of that help promote and control, control carbon. I believe it's effective 2017. So in the next 12 to 14 months, gasoline makeup or the composition of gasoline is going to change again. And the very detergents and chemicals that are helping reduce carbon deposits and prevent their formation are being pulled in the interest of clean air. No argument. But we're going to be faced with even worse carbon issues in the years to come. So carbon cleaning is a problem. Anyway. Back to the Jeep. This particular Jeep, like I said, the bulletin calls for replacement of the cylinder head, and it very clearly lays it out that carbon deposits build up around the exhaust valves. And that's another issue. There's no real way to clean carbon deposits on exhaust valves. You can clean them on intake valves, depending upon the system and depending upon the cleaning process, but there's no real way to clean exhaust valves or easily. The only way I've encountered, there's two ways to clean exhaust valves. One, you're pulling the exhaust manifold, and you're going to get a long, and you want to use a plastic scraper of some kind because you don't want to scratch the valve just to scrape the carbon off and try and vacuum it out and clean it out that way. Or you're going to take the spark plug out, bring the piston up top dead center or partially up, fill that cylinder up with some sort of cleaning composition, some sort of top end cleaner, And with the exhaust valve open, with the bottom of the valve just hanging there, you're going to let that cleaning solution sit overnight or for a certain time period and then, you know, crank it around again and blow the fluid out and and, and try and remove carbon deposits that way. But there's no easy way. Anyway, back to the Jeep. Did I tell you we're going back to the Jeep? Bottom line, Chrysler said, got to put a cylinder head on it. They've even extended the warranty. They even said that bring it in. We'll take care of it, no charge. Customer says, no, I'm not going to take it back to them. They didn't design it right from the first place. And if they can't make it right in the first place, what makes me think that they're going to actually fix it when they tell me that they're going to anyway? And I looked at him and went, huh? And I guess my point is that you, the customer, you, the vehicle owner, have to be aware, you know, this isn't, This isn't where people take pride in workmanship anymore. But when they do, be aware and be ready to allow them to make the repairs. You know, common sense has to prevail. And one of the reasons I went looking for a bulletin was it's a a three-and-a-half-year-old vehicle with 42,000 miles on it, and it's got a compression problem. Not, And I was aware of this, but my point is engines today don't have issues under 100,000 miles unless there is a design flaw 
or unless they have been severely abused. If a vehicle is maintained, and this vehicle was maintained, if the vehicle is maintained, it's not going to have a problem because maintenance is the best defense against problems. But when you do have a problem and the manufacturer extends their hand and says, hey, we're going to take care of it, you got to be open to that. you got to at least take them up on it and not stand your ground and get all huffy and excited. And I only point this out because I think there's a bunch of Jeeps out there, judging by this bulletin. It covered three or four model years, depending upon which Jeep or Chrysler product we're talking about. And I think most of you that own them out there are going, yeah, I've got that problem, and nobody can figure out what it is. It's carbon deposits on the exhaust valves. Tell them to take a look at the bulletin, and um, they'll understand it 100% and just know what they have to do. But understand this. When the dealer tells you that's what's got to be done, let them do it. By the way, Chrysler is um, getting to be one of the worst, I have to say, to deal with in terms of parts and service. I don't know what's going on over there, but they just keep falling further and further behind. We've got more than a few customers with Chrysler products out for open recall. No part numbers in sight for the parts needed. No service dates in sight for the vehicles to get their recalls done. Some vehicles are driving around. I've got one vehicle driving around with no shifter cable. It's got a pair of vice grips to shift the transmission. Uh, Yeah, since uh, uh, March or May of this year, um, I've got another one with an airbag light on. It's an 0304 Jeep Grand Cherokee. The the airbag light's on. The airbag system's not going to work until the airbag module gets replaced. I don't know what's going on at Chrysler, but uh, at the rate they're going, the lights aren't going to stay on very much longer because uh, they can't even make parts for the vehicles, that uh, the old stuff, and now they're trying to fix the new stuff too. Kind of makes you wonder. And yet they're selling Jeeps hand over fist. I don't get that at all. Anyway, this is Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. The phone number is 855-560-9900. The website is cardoctorshow.com. We'll be back to open the garage doors right after this. Boy, where did Tom Ray come up with that song? Holy cow. Ay, ay, ay. This is Ron and Nanny and the Car Doctor. It's Christmas. I know what to do. Open the presents. Let's, uh, <laughs> oh, I tell you, it's just, um, but you know what? It's still, it's it's good to be here. It's still, you know, 25 years going strongly. Here's to another 25. Let's go over and talk to Bob Appleton, Wisconsin. I guess we're coming on loud and clear in Appleton, Wisconsin today. 2011 Subaru and some questions. Robert, how can I help you, sir? Ron and Nanny and the Car Doctor at your service. Well, thank you. Uh, on about Tuesday of this week, something like that, had a, a check engine light come on in the uh, Subi. And, of course, we had anti-skid and uh, cruise light that came on yep, as well. Yeah, that's normal. Yeah, what, what turns on one, it turns on the others. It's a, um, it's letting you know, and a lot of the manufacturers do that, check engine lights today when there's a fault code. It will limit performance and output of the engine, so they turn off some of the safety features and Systems they don't want to overtax the system, and for a variety of reasons, you won't have, uh, you know, anti-skid and ABS and all that. So that's um, that's that's a normal condition. Fix one, the other lights will go out. So go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's right. Uh, I got an Actron or Tron Actron Actron scanner. Right. Eleven years old though, but I took a chance at it, and it said it was 
number four misfire. Okay. <clears throat> of course, I had noticed before when the, when the check engine light was on, it didn't. Uh, the engine was a little rough. So anyhow, I pulled this spark plug out on number four and looked at it, and it didn't look that bad. It did have a little bit of a divot around the uh, insulator on the uh, around the electrode and uh, going over to the outside electrode. Okay. And I, you know, I couldn't really find anything wrong. So what I decided to do, I pulled out number two's plug. And I put number two in number four. Good. Put number four in number two. I reset the uh, thing to take the uh, misfire, uh, uh, you know, take it. So the, anyhow, the, the uh, I got rid of the, the uh, check engine light. Right. It hasn't failed since. Isn't that great? One, <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? And I was, yeah. I, why I was asking, because these are... Uh, all-star spark plugs. Okay. And I didn't know if they may have had a problem or something, but I talked to Polestar, and they didn't indicate any problem. Well, before I jump on the plug, you've got to see what problem comes back. All, All right. right. Is this a coil-on plug car, Bob? Yes, each yeah. one's got a coil. Yeah, each one's got a coil. Did you happen to move the coils? Well, I had to take them off to... Uh, well, no, but I mean, did you move them to different cylinders? I, no, I did not. Um, see, I would take, you know, typically if the misfire's on four, I'd do, I'd do a, a sampling of what you're doing. I'd put, I'd put the spark plug on two and the coil on three. Okay. Uh, okay, and then, you know, this is like the shell game. Let's move things around and see where the problem reappears. Yeah, I didn't want to move around too much. I was hoping it would fail already. Well, you know, and listen, if it failed on two, then it's the plug. But if it doesn't, it failed back on four, then what would you think? Let's play the game. Let's, yeah, let's play the shell game. That was my next choice. Right. If if it fails again on four, then it's not the plug. Now you're down to, is it the coil? Is it the injector? Is it something mechanical? Is it the driver right. for the computer for either the injector or the coil? Uh, or is it the computer in general? So, you know, playing the shell game, you know, don't be afraid of disturbing things because, you know, they're meant to be disturbed in that sense. Uh, you know, just make sure when you do move ignition around like this a dab of dielectric grease on the end of the boot inside the coil works wonders in sealing and also in coil removal for the future right but you know at least then you're going to see where's this where's the fault occur because a misfire isn't and i think you know this just listening to you speak i think you're aware a misfire is not just going to always be an ignition related fault correct if 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 I were to take the Polestar plug out of the equation, and I have gotten some reports that some of the Polestars had issues, but the numbers when people call up, I'm hearing Polestar says, yes, we had a manufacturing fault with that particular plug. They're making good on it, and they're sending out new plugs, and they know right away. So if they're saying, no, we have no documented cases of it on that particular car, then I think, yeah, you've, you've got to wait to see where the cards fall. Um, the Polestar spark plug scenario aside... If I were to make an educated guess, I would tell you it's more likely it's a bad coil than anything else. Coils are notorious on the Subies, and um, they, we replace quite a few of them. And the only thing we, we put those in uh, are OE coils from right, right from Subaru. We have a, um, we call him the shop puppy dog. He looks like Cubby from uh, the Mouseketeers Club. Adam, nice young man. 
and um, he kind of hangs around, and you know he's looking for. Uh, he just likes to work on cars. He's got a 2002 Subaru WRX, and he just went through this about a month and a half ago, where I told him over the summer he had misfire faults, and you know you, you raise kids, Bob, you kind of let them skin their knee a little bit, You're right. you, you know. And I said I said to him, Adam, I said don't you know don't use the coils. He got the coils out of Rock Auto, and I said I wouldn't use Rock Auto coils. Um, some of their stuff is so cheap it makes you wonder. But he, he used the Rock Auto coils, and sure enough, three months later he had a fault. And, um, you know, he didn't want to listen to the the reason and the rationale, and I kind of let him stumble around for a couple of days. And after, uh, you know, letting him sweat a little bit and feel the pain, I, show, I walked over there, I got the scope out, I showed him here's a good coil, here's a bad coil. I showed him why his cheaper coils were bad, and we got him four new coils out of Subaru, problem fixed. And my experience has been on the Subies in particular, and I think it has, it's either design, uh, location is what causes them to fail in the first place, because they all seem to fail in that 60,000-mile sweet spot. Okay. Uh, um, and I think it's because of where they're located. It's a pancake motor. They're down low. There's a lot of salt and road spray in bad weather. And, you know, for the life of me, I can't figure out how they last as long as they do. A hot ignition coil. In a wet environment, you got to think that's got to beat up the plastic something fierce. But bottom line, the the cheaper coils, they work typically a month or two, and then they start to put that doubt in your mind. And um, you know, when they fail again, you wonder: is it the coil? Is it something else? But I can honestly say, if you don't have the means to test it, and you can prove in this case that it is a bad coil. I would use nothing other than an original equipment coil because if it goes bad again in two months, I'm going to tell you it's highly unlikely it's not the coil, that there's something else causing it. And I don't think that'll be the case. I guess my point is that I'm kind of going the long way around the barn. I'd like to see you move that number four coil somewhere else. So I would use number three, uh, you know, or, or you know, just to, just to get it away from that side. Don't put the coil and the plug together obviously, with the coil right, and the right. plug from the, you know, because then, you know, if it happens on two and you got the coil and the plug together, you go, oh, gee, I guess it's the plug. No, you know, you know what I'm saying. You got to play. Yeah, no, the, no, that's why I did what I put yeah. one at a time there. Yeah. You got to play the shell game. You got to move things around. You got to okay. move things around. All right, sir. Should I, should I, I got 55000 on that. Should I change all four of them? Because we're making a cross-country uh, tra- uh, trip. Go on a cross-country if if it turns out, if you move the number four coil to number three and that coil shows up as bad, then yes, I would change all four and get it over with because I think it's only a matter of time. Like I said, OE coils and a dab of dielectric grease when you do it. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's back right after this. Indian, the car doctor. Well, I was um, sorry about that, Tony. I was outside the booth and uh, talking to Harry and uh, yakking it up. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, you know what they did for me here in the new corporate studios? They're so nice to me. They've installed Xbox in my private lounge. And, um, you know, every week I'm fighting World War II. I play Battlefield 1943. If you're a Battlefield 1943 player, by the way, 
look for me. Look for Ron 1955. I'm usually the guy that can't score any points or hit anything, but uh, if you want to play with me, go look for Ron 1955 on Xbox. That's me. But um, I was playing it, and I lost track of time. But I'm back now, Tom. What do you got for me? Oh, we got a call. I see that. Let's go over and talk to Jerry, Yorktown, New York. Hey, Jerry. We're uh, hey. Still, still working on this 04 Jeep. What's going on? Yeah, so it looks like, uh, unfortunately, the uh, number one cylinder head gasket went bad. Okay, not not completely uncommon on that particular motor. This is the Mercedes engine, right? Yeah. 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 Yep. 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 The, the, pain, the pain of when Mercedes owned Chrysler. Good grief. <laughs> So, yep. yeah, I, I agree with you there. Yep. So, so uh, but, uh, what's the I'm, deal? What are you thinking? I'm thinking of rebuilding the engine. Okay. And I was wondering what you would uh, suggest if um, I don't want to get a crate engine because I kind of feel that I'm going to be getting the same in, same problem. And I want to go with a, I guess, a rebuilder. And up by me in Westchester, there's not too much, but I was looking back in New Jersey, and I did f- come across a one-engine rebuilder, and it's, he seems very good, and it's a performance place. I have no problem, you know, with a performance builder. You know, the problem, the problem with engine building, and this is, this is why I think there are no engine builders left. You know, I see people on a regular basis. All right? I've seen you, Jerry. You've been in the shop. I don't do engine work. That's why we're having this conversation. And you and I have a relationship. You sit, you bring me the car. You say, Ron, fix this, fix that. You know what to expect. I know what to expect. We, we work well. It's a mesh. But Correct. now you need a heart specialist. Okay? And, you know, you've been using a, a, a GP, a general practitioner, and now all of a sudden you need a heart specialist. And how do you pick one? And yeah. the problem is the GP, me... I can't even recommend one because in Bergen County, New Jersey, there aren't any engine builders left. And, and, and that, I think, is a statement probably in the larger part, the northern half of the state, there aren't many, if any, engine builders left simply because by the time the vehicle is 10 years old, what do you have on this, 150,000 miles, Jerry? Yep. Most yeah. people are saying it's time for a new car. I'm not saying they're they're wrong and you're right, you're wrong and they're right. It's not my judgment. But people look at things different. I look at a car as if you're willing to put up with the transplant, there's probably life left in that 04 Jeep, without a doubt. So that being said, now you've got to go pick a heart specialist cold. And right. the, the problem is you've got to count on reviews off the Internet, you've got to count on your gut, and you've got to go look at the shop. And yeah. I, I can tell you this, probably the number one thing I see people screw up is engine rebuilding. It, it becomes a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got to ask them all the questions. How are we going to do this? How much of this are we going to do? What is the guarantee? All right. How does the guarantee work? You know, you're not looking to be unreasonable. You're going to probably, as an educated guest, spend four to $6,000 to overhaul this engine, tune-up parts, cooling system parts, starter, alternator, water pump, etc. I'd put a radiator in it if it hasn't been done yet. And, okay. and you know, because you only want to do this once. You've, you've got to think everything that's in this is now 10 years old, 11 years old, uh, 12 years old, if model year 2016, if you want to count that. And we've had some pretty brutal winters and pretty brutal summers, so everything's been exposed to weather. 
Well, I was looking to even to like the uh, the catalytic converters as well to drop them out, and then I was going to ask you as well: should I replace the coils on top? Well, yeah, but you know, now you're going to be, you know, where are we going to stop? And that's the other problem. All right, because you'll you'll hit ten grand at the way you're going. Because then the next thing I'm going to say to you is, are we going to do the trans? Has the trans ever been done? Right, and that, that's the one thing I, I was when I bought the truck used. I was uh, saving up for this as well. Right, uh, it happened too f- faster than I was hoping for, <laughs> and the trans I was going to do probably next year. I, I'm, I'm imagining. Well, the thing is, if the engine's out. The trans is six bolts away. True. And the labor cost to do it now and get it over with, you know, yeah. and and here's the qualm. Let me tell you my quandary, all right? My wife's Malibu, 2005 Malibu, 143,000 miles. And you can imagine how it's been maintained. Mm-hmm. It has an issue with the trans. Every once in a while, it's got a shutter on light acceleration. And after all the diagnosis and after all the looking, there is a fault internal in the trans. And to fix it, I've got to pull the trans out of the vehicle. I don't have to necessarily rebuild the trans, but I've got to take the trans out, take it apart, fix it, put it back together. 11 years old, 140000 I'd be stupid not to rebuild the trans. Right. The argument in my head is whether I do the trans or I pay somebody to do the trans because I don't have the time to do the trans – because in my world, time is money, all right? It's it's right. still a minimum of a $3,000 cost, all right? right. Am I going to put three grand, original starter, original alternator, original water pump, original noisy AC compressor back in this car? Now I'm into this car, five grand, $5,500. Yeah, I could do that. It's not a, It's not an ugly car. It still looks good. Um, it gets her where she's got to go, and she's happy in it. But, you know, the one thought that I always have in the back of my mind is parts availability. GM is pretty good. GM doesn't have so much of an obsolescence issue as some of the others. And I'm going to tell you right now, in my opinion, one of the worst manufacturers for parts obsolescence is Chrysler. Yeah. Okay? And Chrysler Jeep, going back to the Mercedes days, they don't want to keep anything on the shelf. <laughs> you know, there's there's stories going around. Um, I know somebody with a 20, I think it's a 2014 Jeep Grand Cherokee. They were in an accident. They can't get two fenders for the car at a Chrysler. Uh, you know, there are parts issues at Jeep. So, you know, I understand your pain and I get what you're trying to do. Um, the the question is, you this is this this is like this isn't dating, Jerry. You're about to get married again. Yeah. All right. Very true. And, and you're going to be all in. That's the problem. You're all in. It's it's all or nothing. There's there's no halfway here. Um, and the biggest problem you've got is your heart specialist is not around the corner. He's seventy five miles away or fifty miles away, whatever the time, whatever the distance is. Right. So, you know, that, that, that vehicle is going to do a little TLC. And, you know, it was one thing when it was the neighborhood garage around the corner and Friday night you're driving home and you get a little bit of an oil leak or, you know, this light came on and why. And, you know, 
let me drop it off at, at, at Joe's Garage on Main Street, and he'll look at it on Saturday morning. That was a different world. Now, you know, listen, it might go perfect. It might be, we'll get you in and out in a week, Jerry, and it's all done and everything's nice and there's no problems. But 43 years of auto repair, you know, maybe, yeah, I'm, I, maybe I'm a pessimist at heart. No, no, I, I hear you with that. And, and even the turnaround time what they're, that I'm talking about is like three weeks right. for them to do the engine correctly. I had, you know, I had vetted him a little bit talking to him, and he seemed spot on. I was, you know, you know my past history as a sure. mechanic as well. Yep. And uh, the conversation went very well. He was like, this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm going to rebuild it. It's going to take three weeks, but I'm going to do it correct. Right. And, right. You know, it was all the right wording. Right. And then, you know, listen, give, ask him for a ballpark. You know what? Um, give him to Ask him to give you a number. I don't think he can give you an exact number. I don't think... If he's giving you any, I think if he gives you an exact number, I think he's cheating himself because he doesn't know what he's going to hit once he gets in there. But right, I, he he did give me a ballpark, and I had to say like if I was going to buy a engine from like uh, a rebuilding, you know, you, you just swap out the engines. He was pretty close to it. Right. But you know, extra a little extra to do the balancing, a little extra to do the blueprinting. He wants to do that as well. Right, and you know what? You're going to pay a little bit more for a hand built engine, and by rights you should. It's hand built. It, right. You know, it was made here. There's 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 an intrinsic quality value to that. But but like I said, I would include coils, I would include radiator, I would include all your bolt on parts. Um I would think about swapping the trans. Uh you know, doing the catalytic converters, I would price them, but I would expect them to probably add 2 grand to the bill. Maybe now's the moment. But clearly once you do this, you're keeping this vehicle at least another five years and just stay up on the maintenance as you have in the past, and you should be fine. Jerry, good luck to you. Let me know what uh, let me know what you decide. Bring it by the shop when you get it done, and uh, you know maybe we can grab lunch or something together. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor is sometimes on again, off again phone number. Uh, thanks to the boys over at eVoice. They do such a great job over there. Decided to overhaul their website today. And um, so far it's working. You're able to get through. But uh, if it doesn't work, try again. Hey, you know, never mind. Never, ne- you never know what might happen. I remember the motto of eVoice. Eh, who knows? So let's uh, get over to the phones if they're still there. And let's go talk to Wayne in Augusta, Florida, 87 Jeep Cherokee. And some uh, questions and problems on how it runs. Wayne, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I've got an 87 Jeep Cherokee. It's been in storage for the last five years. Um, it's only got 26, 27,000 miles on it. Um, but I've kind of went, since it came out, I went through it completely with all new fluids, oils, caps, rotors, um, plugs, the whole nine yards. And when you're going down the road, it has like a hiccup or a miss. Um, it's also a six cylinder, four liter, straight six, uh, fuel injected motor. And, um, I just can't seem to work that bug out. I've, um, changed out all the fuel filters, 
um, put some uh, cleaner through it, um, and it just just it seems to get better, but then it still does it, and it doesn't seem like it's coming out of it, and I can't think of what it would be. Have you happened to look at or consider taking a fuel pressure test? I haven't. Okay, and then when you take that fuel pressure test, I would be curious to see what a fuel sample looks like. Okay. All right, and you know, one of the great things about a fuel pressure test, and I was talking about this earlier in the other hour, um, di- all diagnostics have to begin with some kind of diagnostic routine. You got to have a routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, right. one of the ha- one of the bad habits we all form is I think it's this, I think right. it's that. Don't think, test it. No, and you know there are those critics out there that say, well, you can't test everything, and the answer is, yeah, that's true. But if you have the opportunity, because uh, number one, you'll know, and number two, you'll learn. So I would do a fuel pressure test. It's quick. It's simple. The test port should be right up front, if memory serves me correct. And once you get fuel pressure, there should be a dump valve on that. There should be a dump valve on that uh, uh, pressure gauge. Pressure gauge, exactly. Right. And and then you can, you know, we always use a Snapple bottle in the shop. If it can fill fill a pint Snapple bottle in 30 seconds or less, that's good volume. Good rule of thumb. I mean, listen... There's a product out there from MightyVac. It's a $600 gauge kit that'll give right. you exact standards. And You know, we want rule of thumb here, all right? Uh, the Snapple bottle will work. And then the nice thing is you look at the Snapple bottle, is it clear? Look at the fuel, right. and that's where the fuel sample will come. If there's any debris or grit in that fuel sample, the next thing yeah. I would do is I would consider, well, you got to drop the tank. you got to find the source of the contamination, but then I would also be looking at do we have, if I did a cylinder power balance, do I have any issues with the last two cylinders, five and six? Because what I've seen on the older Jeeps, especially the ones that sit, if there's rust and crud in the tank, the, the contaminant gets trapped in the last two injectors, and they don't have fuel full volume of spray. And it'll cause fuel starvation and bucking and hesitation and things like that. And then the next test you want to get into is do a fuel injector pressure balance test where you'll actually pressurize the rail. Uh, It's a little pulse box. It'll pulse the injector 20 milliseconds, 50 milliseconds, and you'll watch pressure drop, and you'll see it's actually a flow test for the injector, just as a possibility. The seat of the pants, I think, diagnosis here, Wayne, I would be very particular about ground straps, ground connections. How does the TPS look, the throttle position sensor? Does it wave out correctly? All right, a lot of problems there. And are all the vacuum connections good? Lots of issues with leanness and um, other areas there that will cause hiccups and misfire. So take a look at those things. You know my number. I'm here at 855-560-9900. Should you need me again, and thanks for the call. I'm Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor here kind of winding things down this hour. Quick piece of email. Hey, Ron, I listen to your show every Sunday on WILS Lansing, Michigan, 10 a.m. to noon. Thank you. This is from Bob. I bought Fluid Film after you talked about it on your show. I love the product. A few weeks later, I then heard the interview with the guy from Gibbs All Purpose Lubricant. My question is, do I need both of these products? 
I'm an around-the-house handyman and do light automotive work. Thanks, Bob. Um, yeah, listen, Bob, you can never have too many tools and you can never have too many chemicals, and they don't really overlap each other. Fluid film is a protective barrier. Uh, we use it you know, pretty much on the snowplow truck itself, the body of the frame during the season. Uh, you know, it prevents against rust and corrosion. It protects the body of the truck, the, the undercarriage, the frame rails, the brake lines, the fuel lines, those type of things. Gibbs is more of a penetrant, a lubricant, and it also it is what I spray on the plow when I park it at the end of the season. It is a protectorant in that sense of the word because the one thing I like about Gibbs over fluid film, fluid film can wash off. Gibbs tends to penetrate into the metal, into the porosity of the metal, the object it's attached to, and it will, it will actually change the color. That's how you know it, that it's permeated in there and it sticks around. It may not hold up under the extreme of winter corrosion, but it will while it's sitting there um, you know, during the course of the summer. If you want more information about Gibbs, it's getgibbs.com. Tell Uncle Jerry we said hello. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.